Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 342. Thank you for tuning in. Um, my guest this week is Himesh Patel. Uh, I was incredibly excited to talk to Himesh. I, was, I, I almost had him lined up for yesterday, um, last year, which I really enjoyed. I had Danny Boyle on instead. So you can go and, and listen to, to that if you missed it. We talk about how much of an instant impact Himesh made on Danny in his... Um, his audition and how much Danny went to battle to uh, to make sure he could have him as his lead. But we're here to talk about that. Well, I mean, we talk about everything. We talk about his whole career. This dude started off in EastEnders and then right now he's in the biggest film of the year, the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. Um, it's amazing. We don't give any spoilers. I'll give you a spoiler now that I enjoyed the film. I bloody loved it. I'm going to watch it again, I think, in the cinema. Um, but yeah, that's what we talk about. We mentioned the Michael Fassbender episode, the James McAvoy episodes. So if you're new, go back and give any of them your fancy a listen. We mentioned Ashlyn B. Go and give, give that episode a listen. That's one of my favourites. Uh, but for now... This is episode 300. Oh, I'll tell you as well, we're going to have a bonus episode on Fridays. So we're going to have two this week, just to give you a heads up. But for now, yeah, this is episode 342 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Himesh Patel. Right, I'm here today with Himesh Patel. Um, you've got a new film out, so I do want to talk about that, but then I want to go all the way back in your career and life and then jump forward a bit and then back, which is basically a joke about Tenet because it's very confusing. <laughs> um, uh, but how are you finding, because we're talking quite early morning and that's quite c common on press junkets and stuff, but how are you finding that for a film where you might get some quite mind-bending questions and and stuff to try and explain or get your head round i did need to warm up a bit yesterday <laughs> which was my first day of doing it yeah and i did need a bit of a bit of time to kind of go okay well don't say that don't say that um you know it's it, because also obviously we have a level of secrecy around this film 100 percent plot details and, and that sort of thing yeah and again obviously this is a spoiler free zone so Working on a, a Nolan film, just for most actors, as an actor, it, it, it's it's the dream, right? It's kind of a absolute dream to be part of. But then its release suddenly becomes incredibly attached to a global pandemic, with it being moved and moved again and all of that. How's that part of it been? Because the hype and excitement must have been huge, and then all of a sudden it maybe feels not as important or irrelevant, but then it's tied to the pandemic as well. How's that been? Yeah, it's been a, a strange journey, I suppose, from from the beginning of the pandemic and kind of realising that it was going to t be be around for a, a long time. And obviously the film was due to come out in July. But I think it's really good that, on one hand, you know, it's a great film and the studio are obviously confident that they can release it in this kind of new way where yeah. we're kind of releasing it as and when it's safe to release it around the world. And, um, you know, there's no, like, there's no trying to push people into cinemas opening weekend or anything like that. You know, it's it's there in cinemas for people to watch as and when they can can go and do it. On the other hand, you also have, you know, Chris Nolan is a filmmaker who really celebrates the cinematic experience. 100%. You know, he really makes movies that are for cinematic kind of viewing. And... He, he understands the the importance of that experience societally. Yeah. And I think, you know, it really means that it, it feels right because if it was any other f kind of film, you'd maybe feel a bit like it might have been cynical or whatever. But this time I think it's fair to say that it's someone who just really values the cinematic experience and, and wants to make sure that people have that option yeah. to go and experience something because it's, it's important. We, we value it as a society and I think we value it even more at the moment. Yeah, completely. And again, as soon as it started to get moved about, to me, it made perfect sense. Like Dunkirk is a perfect example of that's not the same 
in the living room as it is in the cinema because the no. sound is so key. <laughs> and Interstellar and Inception, all of these, the sound is such a key part to the experience. And that's what people kind of forget with the, the cinema at times. They think, oh, it's just a big screen. I've got quite a big TV. But it's not. It's having the sound all around you and being in darkness and not seeing anything else. And Nolan mm. is kind of, yeah, the master of that. He se- he seems to have all of that in mind when making it, r- rather than just, well, here's the story. Here's what we're gonna get across, I guess. So yeah, yeah, he, he definitely sense. does. He does keep that in mind. You know, I mean, that's why we shot so much of the film on IMAX um, film, yeah, um, which is basically the the best picture quality you can get. And I, you know, having seen the film in IMAX and and seen a lot of his other movies in IMAX. It just, it's incomparable. You can't really, you know, no one's ever going to be able to recreate that at home. There's no, yeah. there's no chance. So it really is something. It's it's amazing. So pandemic aside and all that, how was it to get a role in a, a, a film like this? Like Nolan, he doesn't do small films. And at this stage, kind of since Memento onwards, it's kind of, they're huge in every way. So how was it to kind of be, I guess, up for a role and then to get that? Yeah, I mean, I'm still pinching myself to be honest. It was um, it was one of those when the call came in and and you know the audition was was in LA. I had I was passing through LA anyway, so I I did the audition in person with with Chris's casting director. It went really well, but I just kind of thought, you know, there's probably 500 people up for this role. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what the role is at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, we'll see what happens. And then I didn't hear anything for for a you know a little while because it, you know it's such a huge movie production was kind of gearing up, um, and I just kind of assumed that you know I guess someone else got the part. And then and then I got a call saying you're being offered the role, and it was just crazy because I'm I'm a really big fan of his movies and and where they stand in cinema today, in that he makes this sort of really great blockbuster cinema that also has a really like intelligent level of kind of um interrogating the world around us you know yeah and so to then become a part of something like that was was amazing yeah and and he really he's comfortable asking something of the viewer asking yeah. you to put some effort in and particularly in a world where so many people watch at home and have their phones out and are half watching and things like that which again it kills any any film if you're not giving it the full attention, because you'll know from being on set, every single shot has been slaved over. There's no shot where they're thinking, well, we'll just get this one done and they can check Twitter quickly. It's it's all kind of really slaved over, but more so with Nolan than anyone else. Again, from Inception, Interstellar, from Memento. Memento was the first film I saw of his as a little, as a film student at the time. And it just blew me away because I was like, right, Mm. I had to be part of this. I had to kind of solve parts of this. And it's similar in Tenet. It's another one where you're spending half the film going, wait, so hang on. If so, the the more that you can think and put into it, the more enjoyment Mm. you're going to get out, which. It's rare in cinema. So much of cinema is a passive experience. You're simply absorbing it. And Nolan asks for more than that, more commitment, I guess. I think to some extent he does. And I think, yeah, it is rewarding if if, if you like to kind of watch movies that way. I, I certainly like to kind of, you know, start to kind of um, decipher it myself. Yeah. But I think it also, I, I'm not sure whether Chris is necessarily asking more of people. I think he has a very clever way of, of not dumbing anything down giving you enough to keep you really entertained obviously you know visually yeah. this film is you're going to be seeing things that you've never seen before but eventually you will get the answer you know he will kind of pull off his magic trick and and reveal the yeah. answer it's just about being patient and and knowing that, that that that's all going to be coming that it's kind of okay to be a bit dumbfounded for a second because that's part of the trick yeah, yeah. Uh- a hundred percent having a period again it can kind of be the killer if you're trying to figure it out <laughs> too yeah. early because it's, like, it's going to get there just yeah. have faith he knows what he's doing he's it's it's going to make sense so i mean how was that on the script f- f- front then because a lot of actors say that when they're playing a real life 
people um, that there's two kind of schools of thought. One side will do a lot of research on the real story and the other side will just put faith in the script and Mm -hmm. trust that, you know, the, the character hasn't done research on their whole life and themselves. So just putting faith in the script and knowing what's there. When you get a script like this that has got a lot of intricacy woven into it, how much are you thinking of where we are in the script and where at this point is? Because, again, it's it's not a secret that it involves not so much time travel, but time time manipulation. It kind of it mm-hmm. shows that in the trailer. And so those kind of things are always a bit of a, a, a confusing one. So how much did you try and decipher for your character and in the moment? And how much did you just go, look, I've got the scene. I know what the scene is. Just focus on that rather than where we are in the world, in the story, in in time. I really only got one chance to read the whole thing. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and then I just got to keep my scenes. Yeah. So in a way, I, my hand was sort of forced, I suppose, to kind of concentrate on my on my moments, but it, the script kind of leapt off the page, so I, I, I had the whole thing in my head, really, from that first reading, and so I, I kind of knew where we were and why, why what was happening um, there were select few people on set, probably like Chris and two others who had the whole script, you know. Right, wow. Um, that I could, and I could ask them, you know, if I needed uh, a sort of update <laughs> and a yeah. kind of reminder on where we're at <laughs> at this point in time. So, yeah, in a way I was kind of, as I say, I was kind of um, made to in that sort of way think about just my moment and and my scenes and... and concentrating on those as, as being the kind of set pieces that they are. Yeah. So, I'm so sorry, I think someone's decided to start um, sawing down a tree or something. I mean, they're... Um, usually they're... my street is the quietest street <laughs> ever, and obviously this morning they decided, hey, he's doing a podcast, let me um, let me saw down a tree. Look, it's yeah, a lovely great. day for it, it's a fair play to them. No, <laughs> no, no problem here, you know. <laughs> It's given me ideas of what I might do after this now. Maybe I'll Fantastic. go and saw down a tree. Um, <laughs> so how is Nolan um, on set? Because because people often think, well, it, it, it must be confusing to film some of his kind of confusing timeline and non-linear narrative films, but film and TV films like that anyway. That's just how yeah. it's made. You don't generally shoot scene after scene. So the pressure isn't really on you guys as actors, because that's how you do it. It's on the continuity people. And on a project like this, where there's only a handful of people who will know the ins and outs of it all, that's a lot of pressure on him, right? To to know exactly what he needs from every scene and where not the usual pressure of we're entering from the left and exiting from the right. There's a million extra pressures of, of, of what's, of what's, going on so how is he kind of managing all of that and being the the ringmaster as such amazing really because he you know he does obviously have all that pressure and and at this level he has the pressure of a massive budget and you know time is money on on films like these he never lets it show um you know as far as i could tell and he's really (laughs) kind of staggeringly calm about about what's going on he knows what needs to happen when it needs to happen. Um, he kind of moves it at quite a pace as well in terms of getting the shots, and he's got it all in his head. Um, yeah. He knows exactly how you know how it all fits together, and it's kind of amazing to just watch watch him kind of you know command the set as any good director does, but do it in a way that doesn't doesn't leave us all confused as to what he wants. You know, he's very clear about what he wants, and he knows what he needs to tell his story. It comes across more than ever in in this one, and I, I noticed it a few times. And one of the things you get as an actor in auditions a lot, for example, is you'll go in and you'll have your lines, and because they're the lines that you're focused on, you've got a lot of pauses and drama, and you're really delivering them. And you learn qu- quite quick that they're like, just say the fucking lines. Just say yeah. the lines <laughs> and we'll move on. And it felt in this, there's numerous bits where... It's so tightly scripted. Again, partly because of the intricacy of it, I guess. But it's perfect. There's so many scenes that fly along and all the information's there, but it doesn't feel f- forced or anything like that. But everyone is just going, here's what we need to do. There's n- there's no kind of 
overacting, I guess. It's very much right. Here we are. We're having this conversation. It's an important conversation. We're going to get everything across across clearly and succinctly mm-hmm. and move on. So Yeah, so- I love that about his films, really. I mean, yeah. I love that, that, that pace. You know, I remember, I think, the first of Chris's movies that I saw in the cinema, I went to see Batman Begins with my dad. Yeah. I mean, I loved it just because it was, you know, I guess... As much as I also loved Batman Forever as a kid, <laughs> um, I rewatched it recently. Actually, it, um, I mean Jim Carrey, what is he doing? Yeah, but it was obviously Batman Begins was the first time that I watched Batman, and I was like, "This is some really serious but fun stuff. This is yeah. really good," you know. But it had such an amazing pace to it, you know. Those kind of those training montages that we love in movies, that sort of thing. But he does them so well. Because they're not just montages, you're getting, as you say, you're getting the information that you need to propel the story forward, but it's so quick and it's so entertaining. They're so full of these little moments that you'll remember. Yeah. When I think about Batman Begins, and they they get the cowls that are eventually going to become the kind of, you know, the Batman kind of mask or whatever. Yeah. uh, I think Alfred, like, bashes one in and it breaks or something. Those kind of tiny moments that you just remember from from sequences like that. And he's a real master of doing those things. Um, yeah. Because they're, they're, they are weighted with with story, but they're very quick. Um, yeah. And I think that's why he can tell stories. You know, it's a long movie, Tenet, but you won't feel it. No, not at all. It absolutely f- 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 flew by. Every time I thought, oh, we must be near the end now because <laughs> it's there's been so much happening. It was like, no, here's, here's this... We're going to tie it all together all even more succinctly and clearly. Um, rewinding back to, to being younger and watching Nolan Batman films and things like that, uh, was acting always your, your goal as a as a youngster? Was that always a, what you wanted to do or where you saw yourself? Yeah, I think so, for as long as I can remember, really. I think there was a, a, a fleeting dream as a child to be an astronaut, but then I watched Apollo 13 and... <laughs> I thought, no, thank you. Yeah, I think acting has always been performing. Just generally, I was a very kind of energetic kid. I had a lot of, you know, perform. I used to love doing impressions. Uh, you know, so for example, when I watched a movie like Batman Forever, I, I kind of fell in love with Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah, and uh, and I used to do impressions of that, that sort of thing. And my parents kind of went, well, let's just channel this into something positive. So they. They kind of found a youth theatre for me to go to, and and I went to youth theatre, which which was kind of the beginning of the journey for me, really. Yeah, I love that. So, so f- uh, uh, from doing uh, this podcast and having people from Michael Fassbender to James <coughs> McAvoy and all sorts of other people on, all British actors seem to have at some point had their time in EastEnders or The Bill or Casualty, and they seem to be the proving ground. But there's not that many that had b- big roles in them. And I think it's a really important story. So can you give a bit of an insight into that journey of getting, you know, a, a, a key role in EastEnders at such a young age t- to then being kind of a household name and recognised, then to the point of, of, of stepping away f- from it and deciding to explore elsewhere? How was that? And what's the kind of, yeah, the journey there? Yeah, so I was doing a youth theatre uh, at a youth theatre in Cambridge called the Young Actors Company, and they had um, uh, a kind of a, a, an agency. They'd send kids out to do extra work and um, and auditions for things. And they, I think they they quite liked me because the youth theatre was like a weekend thing, and the Sunday one would be the Screen Academy, and that was what I was part of. So I was kind of getting getting my head around being an actor for the screen, which is yeah. very different to being an actor for the stage, I guess, at that, at that point. Yeah. And um and so this audition came up for this role on EastEnders and actually it was the last day of my GCSEs when the audition came through and uh I initially said to uh Steve who was the the head of the youth theatre I was like hey, listen obviously this is great thank you but I've got my last GCSE I can't I don't know if I can make it and my mum was like well, you'll make it just just say yes. Yeah. So I was like okay. And yeah, I did my last GCSE and then my dad kind of drove me down to Elstree and Borehamwood where they film EastEnders and where the audition was. And yeah, and then three auditions later, I got I got the part. It was, you know, a very 
a transformative summer. You know, I, yeah. I, I finished my GCSEs and then by the time I went back to do my A-levels, I was on national TV. It was it was kind of crazy. But a dream come true, really, to be an actor and to be getting paid to do it and, and working with people that I really wanted to work with. And it was really brilliant. And I was there for yeah eight and a half years. I it's amazing, right? Really gr- growing up and learning on on camera as such. Completely, completely learning. I mean, my craft, obviously, from the brilliant acts I got to work with. But also, there was my formative years. I was there from sixteen to twenty five. So you know, it was um, it was a really important time in my life personally as well. Yeah, it's something that I will cherish forever. Obviously, the time came to to make that hard choice to kind of to take a step away from it which I didn't take lightly really it was a thought that had been percolating for a few years at that time and I was like yeah but I I just don't feel like now's the right moment now's not necessarily the right moment and then actually the actress I was working with Maddie Hill who was playing my girlfriend on the show she decided that she wanted to, to step away from the show and and the character I played on EastEnders, Tamar, he was a you know lovable guy. He was a good guy. And what often happens on soaps is the good guys get murdered, or you know <laughs> <laughs> they die in horrific circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought I don't want that for him. I really don't. <laughs> so I said to them, "Look, I I think I want to go, and I think it'd be really nice if they kind of got a happy ending." Yeah. And they got to like go off together, you know, they <laughs> um, and they survive Walford. Um, which, which <laughs> is not quite easy. an achievement. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we, we got to do that and it was, you know, it was the best way to go actually. And obviously at the time of going, it was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to take this leap of faith. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, hopefully I can string together some regular work and, and, and try new things. I think that was the whole reasoning behind leaving was, yeah. You know, as amazing as it is to be part of that family, I was really dying to try new stuff, new forms of acting um, and new characters. And, you know, it's such an intense schedule in EastEnders that it doesn't really allow for you to try those sorts of things. So you had to take a step away to do it. But, uh, you know, I, I always thought, well, you know, we'll see how things go, but maybe I'll come back at some point. Yeah. But so far things have gone far better than I could possibly have imagined. And they've gone really. amazingly. Um, and it, it's... <laughs> Because I said, I, th- I really think you can't um, understate or overstate how how big a move that is. I know a few people who are in in different soaps. I recorded a podcast with a, a Rosie Marcel, who's been in in Casualty or in Holby City, sorry, for many years, and is now leaving. And that was something that played on her mind for years and years because it is scary, and it is. I mean, obviously, you got almost a completely fictionalized experience of it in that you left. You got your GCSEs and and got a huge national job straight away, but it is an unreliable industry, and it is one where you might not get another role for a year, for for two years, for whatever else. So, I think there is there's such bravery and boldness in walking away and going, look, I'm really appreciative of this. I love this. I love what's happened here, but it's been a, I've done it's been a while now, man. And let's see what else is out there. So, so how yeah. was it when you got out there? and started to have a look at what else was out because you did a few shorts and, st- and stuff like that i think before you left as well right and again clearly w- w- wanting to explore other things yeah actually i did a short before i left called two doses yeah. um which was a brilliant experience and it kind of that was about two years before i left and i it kind of started that thought process for me really of mm. well this is great doing something different Maybe this is something I should do. And that actually wound up being a really important part of my journey further on um, because that short got entered into a, a shorts festival in East London and um, there was a jury to award prizes to the shorts and on that jury was Danny Boyle. Amazing. Um, and that's he awarded the film first prize and I think that's how I wound up on his casting team's radar, really, for which eventually led to yesterday. But yeah, I did I did a a short with one of my friends Henry Scriven, who's a writer director and he wrote this short film The Fox and we filmed that. That was great. I got really lucky though actually, not really within a month or two after I left. This audition came through for for this series Damned for yes. Channel 4, which was um a really brilliant comedy series written by Joe Brand and Moena Banks and Will Smith who's written on the um on uh, the thick of it and 
um, and Veep. Uh, that's Will Smith, the writer, not Will Smith, the famous American actor. <laughs> I think yeah. Will uh, Will R. Will Smith said that he. I think he's he was born first, so he had it first. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a fair his. claim. <laughs> and it's a really unusual name, you know. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, that was a really great series about social workers, um, like a dark comedy. Yeah, and it was exactly based on, the kind of based thing. on Joe Brand's experiences, right? As a as a yeah, nurse yeah. and stuff like that. In yeah, yeah, and it, it was um, it was exactly the kind of comedy I wanted to do. You know, Tamwar had a sort of comedy element to his place on EastEnders, and so you know, it was something I knew I was I was good at, I suppose, to some degree. Yeah, but. I didn't want to just do any old comedy that came my way. It had to be the right one. And I got really lucky that this thing came up and it was exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to do. And I got the role and I got to do that, which was immediately a new taste of something different, a different kind of TV, a different kind of acting, I suppose. Yeah. And then I took a real left turn because one of my best friends is a musician and and an actor and him and his now wife run a a kind of theatre company and they do like musical adaptations of novels and plays and and they'd taken them to Edinburgh to the Edinburgh Fringe and they'd done two or three successful plays at this point and they were taking an adaptation of the hunchback of Notre Dame and he knew I was desperate to do some theater I was wow. I was dying to do something that would just scare me yeah and and just do something new and put me through my paces a little bit and he said well look we're going to the fringe with this play most of the parts are spoken for, but I can offer you the role of a pigeon if you want to do that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sign me up. Love it. you know, I didn't have anything else on in the summer and I thought, I love I love the Fringe. I'd only been a couple of times, but let's do it. And so I went and had the best summer of my life and it was, you know, for so many reasons, the most important thing I ever did. And I came back feeling more confident in who I was, I suppose, to some degree, knowing that I was, I was someone who just loved acting i just yeah. wanted to go and do it wherever i could do it and do it with people i like and yeah i had a great time at the fringe and and that kind of set me on my way i think in terms of the opportunities that came next and more opportunities did come um i, I almost had you on the podcast for yesterday i ended up having having danny on and and we couldn't make it all work but how was that to to get that first kind of big lead i guess and with such a daunting co-star as the Beatles back catalogue, you know, <laughs> how, how was that to, to get a role like that? And Danny Boyle is, as, as you said, he is the kind of person who gives out awards on judging panels. He's that respected. He's a, he's a, yes, he's a legend yeah. of, 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 of cinema, particularly British cinema. He's done so much that's d- defined so much that's come after it. So that must've been a, hu- a huge one, right? Oh, I feel like I don't really have the words to describe how big it was, really. I mean, yeah. it, you know, to get the audition, again, you know, like I mentioned with Tenet, but this was, I guess, the lead and it was a whole other thing. But to get the audition in the first place was brilliant. And then getting to the next stage and, and meeting Danny and, uh, and and Richard Curtis, who wrote the script. And of course, yeah. That was all just a, a blur in a way, but it was one that I just kind of went, I just enjoy it. It's a privilege that you get to audition for these people even, so yeah. have fun. And I think having that sort of mindset maybe helped me along the way, really. I know I, I had something that Danny liked and he, you know, he really wanted me for the part, but I think it's, I think the fact that I just went, I'm just going to enjoy this, this, this crazy situation in which <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm auditioning not only for Danny Boyle, but also for Richard Curtis. I'm just going to enjoy it and and do my best and and they they're both so lovely that they just kind of put you at ease. You know, audition rooms are often very they can be a bit cold, they can be a bit stressful. Yeah. But everyone in that room, you know, Danny, Richard, um the casting director, Gail, they just kind of kind of put you at ease really and and let me kind of do my best. And a couple of auditions later and and then a, a period of time during which I think Basically, Danny was trying to convince the studio that he could cast me and it would be fine, even yeah. though no one knew who I was. I think that was the that was the the kind of difficult bit. And then I got the call from Danny offering me the role, and it was a very weird day because I was really unwell. I right, I was really ill. I was in bed, and I literally just turned over to go to sleep. And my agent called me and said, "Danny Ball's about to call you," and we knew at this point that you know it was either yes or no. 
Yeah. And obviously I spoke to Danny and he offered me the role and I was on cloud nine and my girlfriend wasn't at home at the time. And I said, you know, I obviously called her and said, it's amazing. She said, oh, I'll be home soon. And I was like, just, I remember putting my feet up and watching the Brits, the Brits <laughs> were on TV. <laughs> and I just felt great. And I was like, oh, suddenly I'm not ill. Great. And then my girlfriend got home and I, and then I just, I suddenly started feeling really unwell again. I started shivering. I was like, you know, re- like feeling sick. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just suddenly way worse than I was before. Yeah. To the point where she took me to A&E. Wow. And so I found myself that night at about midnight, having just had this life-changing information in A&E. <laughs> just kind of going, I'm definitely not well, but I think this might be shock as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. A combination of the two. Because <laughs> the triage nurse was like, I mean, your vital signs are fine, so I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was hard I, to not tell her, really. I love that. I think it's a cold, but it's, it's a bad one, right? It's very... <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Um, the th- thing I loved about your performance in Yesterday was... the. <laughs> it's going to s- s- sound strange, but I think it's genuinely unteachable, is or something that's unteachable on screen is likability. Um, you can get the most amazing actors in the world can do the most amazing things, but it's very, very hard to act likable if it isn't there. Like some of my favourite performances and favourite actors, I then look back and go, oh, I've never really l- l- liked them in a film or, or thought they were a nice person. I thought they were amazing. I've looked up to them. But that was so key to that that, that character. So, so, so how how do you think you got that across so well on screen was Danny a big part of that of getting that we need this to because again the you and the group of friends all just felt like a group of friends it didn't feel like here's a scripted here's the best friend here's this person it felt like you were all just mates so Mm. yeah how was that to get that across I guess I think rehearsal was was really helpful with that really and and I saw obviously that core relationship between Jack and Ellie Played by Lily James, yeah, um, who was also again just instantly lovable on screen and just yeah, she always wonderful. is, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's yeah. just brilliant and such a lovely person, and and um, and obviously that that therefore made that easier um, <laughs> yeah. that she was she was not an awful person um, <laughs> <laughs> that she was the complete opposite. So, um, but we met before with Danny just to kind of meet each other and say hi. And then we had the table read the next day where there were a lot of people. So we, we met each other then, um, like me and Lily and then um, Joel Fry, who played Rocky, and then some yes. of the others, Harry Michelle. And so we we kind of just slowly over a number of weeks just hung out more and more through rehearsal, through pre-production. Um, and I think for me personally... It was the first time that I was doing a feature film, which was kind of, it's crazy to say that that was my first feature film. That's mad, right? Boy, but yeah. Yeah, really mad. But I was there from very early on from pre-production, like at least two or three months before we, we rolled on the movie because I had to prepare, I had to get a lot better at playing guitar. Yeah. Um, and learn the songs and, um, and, and get a lot better at playing the piano and, and so we set up this room at the production office. And so I was there for about three months, just hammering away every day, but, you know, taking tea breaks, going up to the production office, having a look around, seeing what everyone was up to. Cause I love that sort of thing. I love that side of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, so I really felt part of the family and, and, and I think that just kind of put me at ease really that I was, it felt like home in a way, you know, even though it was my first film and I was obviously very intimidated by the task ahead of me. Danny has has a way of just kind of quietly having his faith in you, and yeah. I didn't ever felt I feel like I was being patronised by anyone, you know. Even though it was my first film, you know, Lily was wasn't giving me any special treatment in any sort of way. Yeah, you know, we were just actors at the same level, as it were. Even though she's you know done such amazing work for such a long time, and that really helped me just kind of. Uh, be at ease and I think that meant that when we were doing our scenes together you know me and Lily or when it was our group scenes we just had a sort of rapport between each other that just you know put us at ease and Danny creates such a great atmosphere on set you know he's not the kind of director who intimidates or who shouts at people to get what he wants you know he everyone's a team and he knows that yeah I love that and again it it being your first feature film is mind 
blowing in and of itself. But people talk all the time about to excel at anything, you need to to get your thousand hours in. For stand-up, you need to get your thousand hours for music and whatever else. And I think that's the beauty of of something like EastEnders is it's it's unrelenting. Again, people will put it in a very different category to feature films and stuff like that, but Mm. you're having to do multiple episodes every week. The pressure is bigger, if anything. Uh, One of the questions I had, which will sound ridiculous, is... What? <laughs> where did you feel more pressure in having to do essentially a daily show um, on the BBC, or you know? And again, it's in the trailer, so it's mentioned. But crash an airplane in a Christopher Nolan film. Where's where's the bigger pr- pressure moment? <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, it's definitely <laughs> the uh, working on Tenet. I suppose any of the stuff I was doing because. It's a film of such grand scale and you're yeah. fully aware of that. You know, on a film like Yesterday, yes, it's also got, you know, a, a big budget, although nowhere near as big as Tenet, but it, there's still millions in the budget and time is still money. But you can feel a little less aware of that in the sense of we only had one or two big scale days on Yesterday. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. obviously you felt it and there are moments that will stay with me forever. But... Day to day, you're just doing, you know, lovely scenes in in flats, and you know, and the the fun side of it is what Danny does with the camera, yeah, um, to make it cinematic. On a film like Tenet, yeah, one day you're, you know, working on with an actual seven four seven that production have bought for the for the film, and That's you know, next blowing. next week you're in Amalfi shooting on the coast, driving a speedboat around uh, around a, a yacht that's worth. A ridiculous amount of money as well, <laughs> yeah. and and you're you're more aware of the scale of things, um, you, you know, and you know, and Chris is up in a helicopter with his DOP, where they've got an IMAX camera strapped to the front of it, and they're getting shot. You know, it's filmmaking of the of the grandest scale, so you you're feeling the pressure a bit there, yeah. But again, it's you know, Chris has a way of just quietly having his faith in you and. And not kind of going, listen, you really got to get this right, otherwise we're all screwed. You know, he's kind of, he has a really great way of just kind of going, yeah, just, you know, that's what, that's, that's why I hired you. I know you can do the job and go ahead and do it. <laughs> and it just kind of makes you kind of step up to the plate, really, I think. And you just go, yeah, actually, yeah, I can do it. Great. Nothing to worry about. Um, <laughs> I love that. But there is obviously going to be a voice that's, that's kind of like, please don't mess this up though because this is a uh, this is an actual plane yeah um. <laughs> yeah exactly that's it's it's mind-blowing and i think the greatest skill that gets overlooked or not known about is exactly that a director who can make you feel relaxed in the most unrelaxing of moments my, my first ever day on set on a feature film was on a hillside with like two or three hundred extras on horseback and a helicopter f- filming it and it was with um Guy Ritchie, and I'm stood there, and he just sees me and comes and goes, "All right, Pip, oh, this is exciting." And just just ch- chatting as if we we're in the pub, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm relaxed now." All, all, until he walked up to me, I was the most unrelaxed person in the world. I'm like, "Man, this is this is intense." I thought I'd give th- this acting thing a go. Maybe I've bitten off more than I can chew. But again, exactly that. Within one conversation, he was like, "Nah, it's cool. Let's yeah, let's have some fun. It's- let's make it work." I think there's there's probably I mean I think any director who who can translate wonder to the screen has to have wonder themselves I think and yeah. you know when at this stage in my career that I'm just starting to do these sorts of things I'm still looking at things like that and going and you know I'm in I'm in awe at them but I think there there probably has to come a point where the director has to kind of go okay this is this is amazing what we're doing but I have to kind of settle things otherwise we're not going to get any work done yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's, it is awesome and it is wonderful, but you kind of have to. There, there is a job to be done here. We've got to make a film, and that needs someone to kind of settle things down and go. Great, this is really good. Yeah, but let's just take it easy and 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 enjoy it, but um, get the work done, because ultimately that means that you you come out the other side with a with a better movie that people can enjoy and be and be awed at for for years, really. Yeah. I love I that. Um, I was, I was, I was, was going to ask about the pressure of, of, of the singing and performing in yesterday. But from the sounds of it, I guess 
was a lot of that pressure relieved because you were doing so much of the prep for that at the production office kind of thing around the people who you're going to be performing it in front of or, or or whatever else in the end so i guess that period must have helped a lot right yeah, it definitely did. R- rather uh, than just meant- being at home practising and then suddenly you have to yeah. come in and get up in front of class and show the song you've learnt kind of thing. Yeah, it was a really good decision, I think. We came to the week that I got the role, I, I met with uh, Danny and Daniel Pemberton, our composer, mm-hmm. and we decided, you know, we were like, oh, so how are we going to approach this? And D- Danny pulled out this long list of, of the songs that were going to be in the movie that I needed to prepare and um, and I was like, okay, it's going to take a lot of work. And and he was like, well, do we do we get a piano sent to your flat? And I was like, my flat is probably about the size of a piano, so it's not <laughs> going to fit. But we came up with the idea of having this room set up at the office, making it look like Jack's bedroom. But it did oh, concentrate wow. me. It did mean yeah. that I was going to work every day. Yeah. And yeah, I was I was getting to know the people who were who were working on the production. So they knew how hard I was working on it. And um, and it also just meant that then when we got to kind of the first big test in a way, which is the table read, that um, I didn't feel as much pressure. It was pressure, It was, but it, it, was, um, it was fun in a way. But I did actually play the songs for them at the table read and I enjoyed it more than anything. I was more excited to share what I'd been doing rather than being terrified of, yeah. of failing. Yeah, yeah. Because I used to do music, I get people ask me a lot about stage fright and things like that. And the key I've always said is get to the point where you're excited to share it. rather, And then all the, all the pressure's gone. Because if you've mm-hmm. been doing it for all these hours on your own, then the exciting part is getting up in front of someone else and going, look, here's this thing that yeah. I've learned and tried yeah, r- yeah. really hard to get, to get right. Yeah. So, I mean, from the sound of it, or from... What you've said there, yesterday you were very much part of the production from long before it even got up and running. That'll be similar in EastEnders where it's a whole family thing. How did that differ on on, on Tenet where you're going to be in, in certain blocks and in certain periods? You know, you're you're a key, a key character and a key role, but you're not in every scene and you're not in every, you know, and as you said, you've not kind of got, the whole script as such. So how was that to dr- drop in? And as stupid as it sounds, you're not playing in your own accent at this, this time around. Mm. So there is an added pressure there because it's one more thing to think about. There's two kind of schools of thought in acting where you have your, your Christian Bales and your Tom Hardy's out who transform. But then there's also a school of thought where certain actors feel that you should be playing in your own accent because your focus should be on your performance rather than doing an impression. But you've got to get both in a drop-in kind of situation. How was that? And did that add pressure or make you feel more or less stressed? It was funny, really. It was a decision we came to fairly late in the process. Um, oh, really? In in the sense that I... So I'd been cast and and they then they kicked off production pretty quickly and I I was cast and then I had to go on my press tour for yesterday. Right. Um and so I was off busy doing that. We we didn't quite find the time to to kind of meet before then Chris and and the production was in full swing. So then I Can I just pause there and ask how hard it was on the press tour then when people always ask the what's next and you've yeah. just found out what's next and you can't say at all I know, imagine. it was torturous it was torturous it was like what's next no nothing no big, no big deal we'll see what's nothing. happening that must have been <laughs> hell but yeah sorry continue oh, 100% yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> gosh and so yeah then eventually uh, by the time I was free uh, they were shooting in in Tallinn at the time and so I went down to Tallinn and um, and I sat in a trailer and I read the script and that was kind of the first time that I got an idea of this amazing thing I was going to be part of and, and my part in it. Met Chris and, and Emma, his wife, who's his producer, and, yes. and we, we kind of spoke about uh, the character a little bit and the way things were going to work. And, and then I had a bit of time to prepare um, until I, I did my first block of shooting. But again... In that time, Chris, you know, he's he's got this huge production to worry about. And so, you know, we didn't get a chance to speak until then I got, and I had about three or four days when I got to the first location before I then had my first day of shooting. And yeah. it was kind of on the first day that we kind of 
sat down and had a chat about the character and my ideas and and Chris was so great at you know I thought <laughs> my idea was that you know he's he's a very precise filmmaker he's clearly got a very clear vision for his movies and um well, you know I'll I'll maybe see if he's open to my ideas but I don't know but he he was so open I was Amazing. like you know, I, I don't know I just had a thought that this might be and he was like yeah great sounds good and I was like you know I was thinking maybe I could do an American accent but I've not done one before and he was like yeah great I love it. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, cool, all right, I'd uh, better not mess this American accent. Up, right? um, <laughs> but American is one that, I mean, I personally had been practicing for years because it, it's a, a, a potential in our industry that you do, you know, go go to America and get jobs out there and maybe ask to do that accent. So it was 100%. one that I've been practicing. So well, it was I mean, nice to kind of finally bring it out. I'll, I'll start to, to wrap things up as we're getting close to to the hour mark but before i ask what's ahead and look really deep into your eyes to see if there's anything <laughs> that you're that, that you're hiding i, I want to talk briefly about avenue five because i absolutely loved it and kind of everything oh. armando Iannucci does it's again it must have been exciting to be involved in did that kind of come i know you mentioned earlier that on uh damned that there was a few of the writers from the thick of it and stuff like that did that kind of come naturally in that in that way it, it did, I think, in the sense that that's probably why I was, again, on that radar, yeah. I think. Um, and actually, Will, I remember me and Will were briefly um, working on a on a kind of pilot idea together uh, two, three years ago now, and I was asking what else he was working on, and he kind of vaguely mentioned, oh, yeah, Armando's doing this sort of space comedy thing. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and then, obviously, a little while later, I got an audition for it, and... Um, it's a very strange thing happened actually when I auditioned. Uh, you know, I just sent off a tape and then I heard back that Armando was keen to kind of speak to me about the role. And so we Skyped and I had not used Skype on my laptop for ages. And I something went wrong and I pressed a button and I was like, oh, I don't know what I've done. And Armando was like, I think you've just taken a screenshot actually. And I was mortified because I thought it it probably looked like I was like, oh, I'm on Skype with Armando Inucci quickly. Let me take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Which was definitely not my intention. Um, um, it's a nice memento, though. I do have it. Um, I mean, but, uh, that's kind of perfect for the character as well. Because yeah, who's, who's not watched it, it's <laughs> essentially a space cruise that gets stuck or delayed in space. And you, you, your character was the the entertainment the stand-up comedian who's kind of a failed stand-up comedian as such. But uh, one of the things I loved is, again, there's always all this focus on, on, or there's often more focus on drama in discussing acting. And a key thing that people talk about, which again, I think is really important, if you're playing a bad guy, in general, they don't know that they're bad. So the good performances <laughs> find that humanity in it. But equally, that that goes out the window if you're playing like a bad comedian or a bad p- performer. They tend people tend to go over the top with it, and it's ludicrously appalling. But w- what you did really well was, I felt completely. I believed that he felt he could be a great comedian because it felt like there was <laughs> s- something there, and there were ideas. But then it was all these impossibly awkward performances and moments and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it kind of perfect really t- t- to accidentally screenshot and then. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, that must have been the perfect audition, really. <laughs> yeah, and then we, uh, the production kind of it geared up, and then I, I was going to end up being on the pr- on the press tour for for yesterday, and we were like, oh, we're not going to be able to make this work, are we? And I actually was like, I'm going to have to turn down this amazing opportunity. But Armando. He, he was really keen on having me for the part, so he made it work, which which was great. And he's such a lovely person, um, such a wonderful person to work with. His whole team of writers are just like, you know, yeah. they've been so influential on comedy for the last 20 years, and well, 30 years, I'd say now, I guess. And and, and they're all so humble and, and just really unassuming guys and, and girls. And, and um, it was just a real pleasure to work with them again. Hopefully I get to go back at some point. I love that. Well, that seems like a perfect point to sling in the in in the what's ahead. And again, it's number one or what's ahead that you can talk about. There's not really any pressure. But I also kind of want to know from the way you've spoken of productions and on set. It's clear that you're a fan of the whole whole world. 
the whole machine and process. So is there any plans for writing, for for directing and all the other parts of, of the industry? Yeah, I do really want to. I do really want to write in the first instance and then, you know, maybe direct later down the line. But it's something that I've talked about for a very long time. And actually, lockdown has, has been, you know, obviously awful for so many other reasons. But one of the positives I can take is that it's given me the time to kind of actually sit and consider you know that I've talked about writing for a long time but yeah. doing it is a is a real it's a it's a thing you have to really mark out the time and sit down and, and be disciplined about it and I've I've drawn inspiration from from friends you know I've um I'm, I know you've interviewed Ashling B yes. on there. she's a she's a friend and I've been around to hers a couple of times um just to write really and yeah. and that sort of thing and and that's been really and, really helpful and just her, to write her, anything. Her This Way Up was just, again, it's mind-blowing. You know, I think I she's... so glad she won She won a BAFTA for that. Yeah. Um, and so well-deserved. But that was the kind of realisation is that I've got friends who are who are brilliant at what they do when it comes to writing. And, yeah. And so to kind of just kind of be like, hey, can you help me here? Can, can you... Love that. Can we just create a space in which I can be a bit more disciplined and, and get a bit of writing done. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can continue that and tell stories that need to be told, really. I think one thing about being in this position is great personally as an actor. That's that's brilliant. But I'm hoping that I can use the platform to kind of elevate some voices and stories that I'm keen to kind of hear a bit more of in the industry. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's It's been a thanks a pleasure. Any update on the tree? Has he has he got it all down or...? Um, it's... I, I I can't actually tell at this point whether it was whether it was a tree or whether it was something else entirely. Well, you know, I'll go I'll go and find out. You I'll can let you, know. you can get back to me on that. That's fine. But yeah, yeah, thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing all that's ahead. Thanks very much, man. Thank you, Pleasure. man. been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Himish. Um, hope you enjoyed that chat. Weird having to talk about a really complex and confusing film without giving any spoilers, but I think we nailed it. And he's a lovely dude. I really, as you would have heard from the conversation, I've been a fan of a lot of things he's done recently. Um, I was aware of him in EastEnders, of course. It's EastEnders. But yesterday and Avenue 5 and now Tenet have all been things that I've really enjoyed and I think it's so it's just a really good story man as we touched upon it's it's pretty rare that people become a household name soaps are a weird thing you can become an absolute household name and seemingly get very little respect as a performer you know it's, it's weird isn't it there's these shows that they turn out three to five a week depending on what the soap is they've got impossible turnover times and that's for the writing production performing all of these things and we get to know them so well yet we take them for granted so it's then amazing when someone who's done that for years goes off and goes oh you know i'm a really good actor right that's how i've done that for so long anyway i'll see you all on friday because there's a bonus episode on friday you'll have to tune in for that um and go and see tenet if you can get to an IMAX, get to an IMAX. If not, get to the biggest and loudest screen you can because it's, it's a hell of a ride. Um, yeah, I'll see you on Friday. Bye-bye.